This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery... Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. With Capella University's FlexPath format, you can set your own deadlines, learn at your pace, and access most coursework from anywhere at any time. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. It's important to get across that, you know, what we're doing really is piggybacking on the work of incredible scientists and researchers all over the world who are devoting years of their lives to finding out extremely interesting things as as rigorously as they can. Yep. Uh, and then we're making um, gags about that. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. With the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello, I'm Alice Lipscomb-Southwold, the production editor of BBC Science Focus magazine. I, for one, think the Science Focus podcast is something really rather special. Not really, as you should tell all your mates about it. But let's face it, it pales in comparison to the hugely popular podcast No Such Thing as a Fish, which bagged Apple's prestigious Best New Podcast Award in 2014. Numerous awards later, including the 2019 Heinz Oberhammer Award in Science Communication, they have amassed a whopping 700,000 subscribers for their irreverent podcast about the weird and wacky things they've discovered over the past week. Well, we couldn't resist the opportunity to get a little meta and to do a science podcast about doing a science podcast. So we sent online editor Alexander McNamara to chew the facts about Isaac Newton lecturing to empty theatres, meeting scientists who suggest putting fake eyes on a cow's backside and the logistics around building a statue out of sausages. But we also put their fact-checking skills to the test with a little quiz that we pulled together from the Q&A section of the BBC Science Focus magazine. Why don't you play along as well and let us know how you get on by tweeting at Science Focus. OK, so I'm here with Dan Schreiber and Andrew Hunter-Murray from the famous and very wildly popular No Such Thing as a Fish podcast. Um, so you've just been uh, awarded a Heinz Oberhammer Award for Science Communication for your podcast. Um, I was just wondering if you could kick things off by telling us what actually is your podcast all about? Ooh, it's kind of about everything. So we, we work for QI, the TV show, and we've worked there in various different configurations over the years. And we just 
we found that we had lots of extra facts left over at the end of the series, which we'd really wanted to get into the TV show, but we couldn't. And they were about everything. They were about science, but they were also about history, about art, about food, about medicine, about whatever it might be. And we just thought we have to find a way of talking about these. So every week we get together with uh, one fact each and we just talk about those facts. Yeah, but it's great because it's a genuine conversation that we have. We, we, each, we each send each other this headline fact that we want to talk about, but we all go away, research, don't tell each other what we found. So come to the table with all this research and let the conversation flow. And that's the wonderful thing because it sort of can disappear to any topic that comes up. You know, we might be talking about Charles Dickens, but then we might end up in that conversation, <laughs> start talking about the, you know, sausages of the time, you know, whatever it is that mm. comes up. Um, and that's really exciting. It's a it's a rabbit hole of conversation. So it can really be about anything. You're not sort of saying, hey, let's let's focus on, you know, biology this week or let's focus on literature this week. It's just no, exactly. I've found a cool fact. I'm just yeah. gonna go for it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually the most exciting thing. It's probably what makes us stay sane is that we're able to chase the interest that we have that week. So if I happen to be reading a a biography of George Eliot, the author, and you come across a sentence, that's fantastic because I'm so interested in her that week and now I can bring that to the table. If we prescribed what we were talking about, it might you might end up resenting the topics slightly. Um, <laughs> so fortunately, to, I think you've got to say what the George Eliot fact is. You can't just tease it like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we found this fact that um, she, for 50 years after her death, her family spent their entire sort of public life when talking about her uh, denying that she had a massive hand. She'd, she had one hand that was supposedly ginormous, so heavy, she said in an interview, that it weighed her down uh, to one angle of her body. And um, they denied it. They said, this is not true. And she, this was a neighbor who lived next to her who revealed this in an interview. And she said that she got it from churning all the butter when she worked on a farm. So this one hand that was doing the churning just got bigger and bigger. And the family wouldn't allow anyone to do authorized biographies or anything unless they also actively publicly denied that she had a massive hand mm. so when they were doing uh when they did the biography they actually had to say she doesn't have a big hand or just just gloss over yeah it. they had to say she doesn't have a big hand which is more suspicious than not mentioning it at all to yeah. me. if you've ever seen the film hellboy like his hand basically <laughs> do you think that like when in this situation you find out that um you know perhaps maybe she does or doesn't have a big hand would you then sort of like follow that rabbit hole that you say down to say is there such a thing as big hand syndrome or can you get a big hand? Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, there are, there are so many ways you can go with that. I think that time we ended up talking mostly about Elliot because she had such an interesting life. But um, what else did we talk about in that one? But that I, That's just a very good example of when we have a headline sentence. So the key words in there are George, uh, sorry, George Elliot, family denies, big hand. <laughs> You've got so many different possible roads to go down and research. What are things that other families have denied about famous people? Uh, what are other big hand things? What are other George Eliot facts? I found myself looking into the hands of Alex Honnold, who's the climber who was in the documentary Free Solo <laughs> yeah. recently. And he's got absolutely enormous sausage fingers useful for climbing mountains. And uh, so I went down a bit of a rabbit hole of things that people have said about his hands online. And they've said all sorts of crazy Baroque stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I never, I never read that out on the podcast because the conversation just turns in a different direction, and you can just kind of see the ship of your hope sailing away into the distance. Yeah, um, I was reading just yesterday about free climbing, uh, climbing. So the French Spider Man, you know him. I read that he when he climbed the at the time the biggest building in the world. It was in Taipei. Um, he he did that in order to promote it. A month before, he did a photo shoot where he climbed a traffic light, seven foot tall. 
Um, he couldn't hack it. He fell off and he injured himself and was hospitalized. 40 stitches almost missed the climb of the actual big building. It was crazy. That's just, by the way, that's how the conversation rolls on yeah, the yeah. podcast. You just, yeah, it's word association. It's like it's like a weird version of mallet's mallet thingy. <laughs> That's, um, so in your minds, uh, what, what is it that says when you see a fact, what makes a good fact that you're like, yeah, that's going in? Ooh. It's hard to know, isn't it? I think it's something that presents something you already knew about in a new way or a new light. So we often get asked what our favorite facts are. And I think one of my favorites is that geese sometimes fly upside down when they're coming into land. And it's because they're too high. <laughs> they've mistimed their landing. They need to reduce height very quickly. So they flip their body upside down. They keep their head the right way up and they flip their body upside down and they quickly sort of flap themselves <laughs> down to earth the way they would flap themselves up normally. Um, so that is kind of presenting normal information in a new way. Yeah, and I guess also insight into big subjects or big characters but just focusing on a beautiful tiny detail oh, yeah. i remember reading um isaac newton uh used to lecture to empty theaters basically because his lectures were so boring no one turned up but he did them anyway just love the idea you know if you time traveled back to see newton <laughs> that would be a wonderful moment to see just a man lecturing like a crazy guy to an empty room those are very good oh, yeah. erasmus darwin um charles's grandfather i think he, when he was slightly in later life, he got so big that rather than go on a diet, he came up with a new solution, which was just to cut a semicircle out of his dining table <laughs> so he could fit into it more easily. That's right. Yeah, he just placed his tummy in, yeah, the, in the semicircle. So there are all these weird aspects about people who you think you know about, or people who seem very serious and eminent. Actually, yeah. they're just like us. And then it's weird. There's sometimes there's facts that you that are interesting, but you never use, and we sometimes disagree on that. I've had a fact which has not made it onto the show as a headline fact, which was that um, when Lee Harvey Oswald was buried, there was such controversy about his body and, you know, they worried about lynching and all that sort of stuff happening to, to him before he made it to the grave, that he was buried as a cowboy called William Bobo. That was the that was the sort of the pseudonym he was given. And the pallbearers found out as they were about to bury him uh, who he was, and they refused to do it. So he ended up being carried to the grave by the paparazzi who had found out that that was happening and tried to get a scoop because no one else was there to carry it. They had to put their cameras down and carry him to the grave. Now, weirdly, we've never done that as a headline fact mm. because I think you sort of go, mm, where would we go with that? Um, it's an interesting fact, but does that lead to territories that we want to get mm. into, you know, the the deaths of, of assassins? And it's not necessarily f funny for us. It's, it's, it's one of those weird things where... Um tragedy comedy is tragedy plus time mm. as this as the saying goes so in our first ever episode we did have a fact about the assassination of an american president uh james garfield and i think because that happened in the middle of the 19th century that's uh, an easier subject for levity mm. um yes and the fact in that case was that after he was shot he spent the last month of his life eating everything through his anus and he was fed eggs and, and beef stew and I think alcohol sometimes. Yeah. And this and He had it, a menu, basically, <laughs> that he could pick from. Yeah. And the fact really becomes one about medical incompetence in the 19th century. Because if he'd been shot today in the same way he was shot uh, back then, he would have been out of hospital in two days. Mm. But as it was, he was surrounded by doctors poking their fingers in the wound with unwashed hands. And his condition worsened and worsened. Alexander Graham Bell came by with a prototype metal detector to try and identify where the bullets were in his body 
Um, failed to do so. Well, you'd think that you would know where the bullets were in no, his body. Do you know why he? <laughs> because he's been shot. I mean, you yes. can see where he's been shot. Yeah, I guess they just, yeah, they wanted an exact location. The problem is they couldn't work out where it was. And what Alexander Graham Bell, I think, didn't realize at the time, they thought the machine was broken. In fact, he was laying on a bed that had metal springs. So it was just going off. And I think <laughs> I they mean, concluded that he was a robot. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it seems like you've got this um this 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 nugget of a fact, which is you know the assassination of a, uh, a the assassination of a president is a historical fact, and yet you've gone down medicine there. You've gone mm. technology with um with the, the the metal detector. It seems like you can go sorts of all directions. Now you've just sort of you've just won this the science communication award, which is brilliant. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, but do you see yourself as a science podcast, or do you think yourself you could also be quite easily win a history podcast award, or you could win a, a you know a, a biology podcast award? I mean, yeah. we're up for any awards that people want to give us. <laughs> That's so we thing. should get that on the record. We uh, deliberately designed the podcast so that we're eligible for every category <laughs> in every audio award. It really is an everything podcast. Um, but there, there is a strong scientific vein. And it, even the historical facts are about how people understood the world around them in previous centuries. And that's, a, you know, that's a huge part of what we do. So, yeah, uh, we yeah, it's it's weird because if you want to talk about it as a science podcast for us, it kind of does fit that to mm. an extent. But as you say, if it's a historical podcast um, and let's say ignoring your point just now about bending it towards science, we could just say we're a history podcast as well. Mm. We do. Yeah, it's such a beautiful mix of so many different territories that comes with, again, not having a prescriptive subject for each week, but having four very different personalities with very different interests. Um, you know, I talk a lot about cryptozoology and and things that don't exist. There's still interesting facts about the history of those things that make it a topic that's worth talking about. Um, so that kind of, you know, to an extent, we talk about, we could be classified as any podcast, really. What we are is just a chat podcast, <laughs> I would yeah. say. But also, I think... This is one of the guiding principles of QI as well, is that if you tell people things and make them laugh at the same time, they're more likely to remember it. And so QI, the TV show, very much sees itself as education by stealth. And I would hope that if we've done anything with no such thing as a fish, it's the same thing, basically. It's to, it's to get people to remember facts, it's to get people to talk more about them, maybe look up the, re the research that it's based on, find out more about that. Yeah, we, were, we, we should say we were genuinely shocked when we got offered this award because we we don't think of ourselves as a science podcast. We know we do a lot of science in it, but not not at such a skew towards the science that we think we'd be eligible for something like this mm. award. So that that was really cool to to receive yeah. as a yeah as a I, thing. I think we mentioned things like methodologies. So if if there's a fascinating scientific finding, we'll go into exactly how it was discovered, and we might if the if the sample size was unusually large or small, we might mention that or might throw in a caveat. Um, so I think there's kind of, you know, under the radar scientific communication going on that you might not yeah. register as a casual listener. Yeah, you're right. And I guess as well, we, we have to break it down for each of us to, because none of us except for James on the podcast has a science background. He did physics, am I right in saying mm -hmm. that, at university. Um, so it's pointless us talking with the jargon that a scientist would understand if communicating with another scientist. We have to break it down to make it as interesting as possible for each other for it to stay in the podcast because mm -hmm. that's the main thing. Is it interesting? You could do something that is technically a brilliant find in science, but if you've said it in a slightly boring way, <laughs> it's not making the cut. So that's the challenge for us, really. Mm -hmm. 
that um, that point of like making something uh, both uh, interesting and sort of scientific in a way. There's obviously the when you find a fact, you go, "That is amazing!" Like I'm really interested in that. How do you then go about saying, "Yeah, how accurate is it?" And and how can I, you know, tell the story so it's both accurate and wildly interesting? Yes. Well, the nice thing about it is that because there are four of us, we'll all have looked into the same claims, and I think it. I think there's in we have small enough egos that. If someone says, even in the middle of a podcast recording, obviously this is not a definitive study. There have been other studies which have uh, countered this one or come up with a different result. We can take that on the chin. So that's yeah, that's quite uh, that's quite a relief that we're all in that frame I, of mind. Yeah, I think as well we're sometimes when the facts come up or the studies or whatever, you're lobbing that into the arena, as it were, for then to play with the idea what you slightly imagine if you were there what would you have said at the time and so you get a lot of fun embellishment just by acting out your thought of how did how did they get to that what, what would you know what were the other things that they that's the really fun bit where you can go into fantasy land and then you just keep the actual facts uh, peppered through as you're telling the story mm. and i hope that people realize that we're we are not um practicing scientists because i think it's important for um I think it's important for the podcast that people know that we are people who are interested in things and we've got the time to research them. But this is all stuff we found out this week. So sometimes we might make mistakes. We normally try and correct them if we do, either in the edit or with a groveling apology in the following week. Yeah. We've only had to do that a couple of times. But, um, <laughs> but only because we've stopped apologizing. <laughs> too lazy. Um, but I, th I think that's um, it's important to get across that you know, what we're doing really is piggybacking on the work of incredible scientists and researchers all over the world who are devoting years of their lives to finding out extremely interesting things as, as rigorously as they can. Yep. Uh, and then we're making um, gags about that. So Exactly. We think, yeah, exactly. We'll read a Mary Roach book or a Bill Bryson book or a Jim Al-Khalili and we'll say he's missed a gag there. <laughs> Um, I guess it must be quite good for the, the the people who are doing these studies and and that sort of thing for you to be able to them to say, hey, look, you know, we've been covered, our, our work is being noticed, and you're getting that out there to a wider audience, which I guess is part of the whole science communications that you are doing. Well, we hope so. Yeah, I mean, we're we're, we're flattered whenever any of the scientists of work we've covered knows it's been on the show and um, and gets in touch. That does happen sometimes. Yeah, we do our best to acknowledge any of the. Sometimes if it's a generic science reporting on a on a paper that will say who wrote the paper, we won't necessarily talk about the journalist or the paper that, or the magazine that we got it from. But if it comes directly from a book or if we're like, for example, that George Eliot fact came from a, a fantastic book. I unfortunately can't remember it in my head right now, but we acknowledge it on the podcast. And um, that for us, because those are our heroes, really. The, everyone who's doing scientific research or any kind of research, those we're, we're just here reading that stuff and regurgitating it and trying to convert it into something that, as you would in a pub if you were telling someone about a great book that you read. Um, but yeah, so we're, we have a huge amount of hero worship. And as Andy says, if they get in contact, <laughs> we, we go crazy when we get messages from people. And these are like, you know, people who are, you know, they research camels and, you know, snot. And, you know, so we, well, I, I, we really like writing to people when we can who are doing the research. Mm -hmm. If you can find out and get in touch with someone. So a couple of years ago, I got in touch with Neil Jordan, who was doing a study in Botswana about painting 
eyes on cows' backsides in order to deter lions from preying on them. So this would be a huge help to farmers in the region who lose a lot of cattle to lion predation. And um, and to my delight, he wrote back and he told me about the, the study and we were able to feature it. And I, we followed up a little later and he was saying it's, the full report is going to be out soon. And that is those are the moments that we're really excited about is finding out about. Yeah those wonderful studies happening around the world so you must have uh, in your in your travels and pursuit of fact and knowledge you must have uh, like met or spoken to a few of these these people that are doing it and you know as you say with the the eyes on the back of a cattle's backside uh, these these sound like very you know out there studies and the, the characters behind them must also be fairly interesting as well have you, have you ever met any people that you've gone you're great. I want. I want. I want to tell your your facts and tell everyone about what you're studying. Yeah. Well, I've I've been very lucky. Before we started the podcast, I created with um, a guy called John Lloyd, who runs QI, and Rich Turner, a radio show called Museum of Curiosity. It's a Radio Four show, which I produced for seven series and. The idea behind that was exactly that. Find these amazing characters, bring them on, and get their life story out, and then do with the format of what the show is. So through that, met some extraordinary people. There was a um, an Australian lizard expert called Chris Clement, who happened to be in town for two days. We managed to get him on the show. And um, he, he studies lizards for a living. He's very much, personality-wise, a bit like Steve Irwin. He's this infectious you know, over-enthusiastic Australian. And he was studying why certain lizards, when they run so fast, suddenly pop a wheelie. They go on their back two legs as they're running. And he had them on treadmills trying to work out what it was. He wanted to see if it was to do with fear. So he would hide behind the treadmill and jump out at them <laughs> and scream. And and he was a fantastic character. Um, the, the sort of most prestigious person that I've met in the science world is Andre Geim. We had him on the show. So for any listener, Andre Geim is the one who won a Nobel Prize in science for the discovery of graphene, which it feels like is going to change the world in the way that discovery of plastic, or at least the way that plastic has taken over the world. This is something, it's the, what is it, the strongest metal in the, or it's the strongest substance in the world? I can't quite remember. It's um, incredibly strong for being so wildly thin. It was made, I know they, they, they did it by sellotaping a pencil. Yes, that's right. What's amazing about that, we were talking about this in the pub afterwards, he has this thing which is a Friday night project. This is a bit where he thinks, I'm going to step away from the science where we're legitimately doing following ideas that are very serious. And every Friday, we're just going to sit in a room and go, what, this stuff in a pencil, what is this? Or could you actually scale a wall like Spider-Man? Is that is that a thing? And inventions come off the back of it. And that was, I've never seen or been around a mind that has worked so quickly. It's very odd when you talk to someone where you don't even see them try to work out an answer that just comes out. Mm. Um, he's the only person I've I've seen who can do it at the rate of thought. It was extraordinary to talk to him. <laughs> yeah, you've you've met some amazing scientists, I imagine. Well, we, we had uh, Erica McAllister on the show, yes. who is the fly curator at the Natural History Museum and is fabulous. And she has such a passion for flies that you find yourself liking flies after half an hour in her company you know these <laughs> things you've sort of vaguely disliked all your life um and that's the the really nice thing is that so many scientists uh we realize are are geeks like us mm. you know they they will be much more specialized in the work they're doing and they'll know an enormous amount more than us about each of the things they're doing but at the bottom of it is the same desire to find things out and pass them on yeah 
they're just hyper hyper focused on one thing in in particular yeah do you guys have like a a specialist subject as it were something that you're particularly interested or you know you you know you can find a good fact out of that just by looking at it i probably back in the day yes but since we've been doing this job you you become such a broad um, researcher mm. that it, it sort of waters down. I would have said about 10 years ago, if you'd asked me anything about American comedy, um, I would have, that would have been my expertise. Um, mm. Or certain genre, like rock music, I was, you know, always reading music biographies. And you still are. Still we, are. we all have these things we kind of tend towards. So Dan knows a lot about uh, music and, and pop culture. You know, he's always reading a biography of Freddie Mercury or David Bowie or whoever it might be. Um, but we all try and counteract our natural leanings in the podcast so you get this nice spread. So it's not always Dan's pop music fact, Andy's Second World War military innovation fact. Um, Which is, he's just revealed his specialist subject there. <laughs> yes. It is, in fact, <laughs> specifically that. It's really, it's quite niche, actually. If you want to get even nicher, it is specifically parachuting animals from... Uh, yeah. from the World War Two period. Yes. Well, that sounds like something I need to know more about I right mean, now. Well, so the, the, <laughs> the very first um, Allied operatives to land on D-Day were German shepherds who were parachuted in um, with, um, with the Allied forces behind German lines in Normandy. And I think there were three German shepherds that were parachuted in. But the parachuting animal world is, is enormous, you know. Dogs are still being parachuted into bits of Afghanistan. Emergency services use them now. Yeah. Um, Every RAF bomber in the Second World War had a pigeon fitted as standard in case it was shot down because these were homing pigeons and they could return with a message saying where the plane had been shot down. Yeah. Um, and, and he's also an expert <laughs> on topical, so hot news breaking news um sausage news he is there's there's no one who knows about what's going on with sausages around the world i'm sure there are loads of people who are real real pros but i try (laughs) you try and keep your hand in you know where you can stay modest about the uh, the (laughs) your sausage knowledge (laughs) yeah i mean there's one thing i want to track i I don't know if this will this is useful to you but um Heck, the sausage manufacturer, they have claimed that they're building a sausage of the north to rival the angel of the north, which is an enormous sausage (laughs) monument. Now, they announced they were doing it on the 1st of April, and I'm, you know, I'm no fool. I can appreciate a a funny April Fool story, but they've since insisted that they are doing it. So at some point, I need to contact Heck HQ and just say, look, this sausage of the north, when's it... um so this is very nice because Andy has another career working as a journalist for Private Eye. Um, so all those rejected sausage stories come back <laughs> our way and he's got somewhere to, to vent. I yeah. feel there must be some sort of logistics. Logistically, how are you going to build a sausage of the north? North Is it just one big large sausage or is it... A, it's know, one a enormous collection? one. It could. I mean, you could do a very large Cumberland sausage and sort of put, tilt it on its end. You could do that. Uh, no, what they've proposed is one huge sausage from the design drawings that... Uh, uh, you know, going around the internet. I say going around in a very, very loose way. But it would would it need wings or, or arms spreading out? I mean, it's basically a person-shaped statue, isn't it? A sausage is basically the shape of a person with their arms yeah. by their sides. So I think they're just going to have a sausage on its end. You know, it, it won't need... Oh, for the Angel of the North thing. Yeah, Angel of the North. I don't think it's going to have wings. That's a shame, because you could have ginormous cocktail sticks to... That would have to be as part of the, very the nice. construction. Very nice. put pineapples on the end of the cocktail <laughs> sticks. I think they are probably open to suggestions, so we'll, we'll pitch. We'll put in a pitch after this is over. Um, 
I'm just moving it away from sausages slightly. Now, obviously, um, the name of your podcast... <laughs> Andy, Andy's left. <laughs> Andy, come back. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> Once the mics are off, we'll get back to talking about sausages, I promise. Um, so, obviously, your podcast is makes a bold claim uh, in the name of it that there is no such thing as a fish. Now, we're a science publication. Please explain this to us, because we're ba- baffled by it. Well, this dates back to a question that I think was in the H series of QI. And the idea behind it is that the word fish makes makes no sense uh, from a scientific point of view. Because the fish in the ocean that we would call fish or that you'd see on a menu are so distantly related from each other that really as a biological category, it doesn't make any sense. So humans are more closely related to salmon than salmon are to sturgeon. You might not think so, but from the way the, the tree of life branches, um, that's that's the conclusion that scientists have drawn. So we have a book in the office, which is the Oxford it's Encyclopedia the, of the, Underwater Life. Yeah, and actually, more than anything, because it's, it's not trying to shatter any kind of, there's no such thing as a fish. It's actually very, um, it's a very good representative uh, example of what what we do on the podcast, which is here we have this book, which is like a thousand pages. It's huge. It's, it's the ultimate book of fish. And you read the introduction, which a lot of people might s- skip over. But there, three pages in is the sentence, by the way, there is no such thing as a fish. And you just think that is that's an extraordinary sentence to put in a big book of fish. <laughs> and that's that's really what we do. We 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 try and find that one sentence that sticks out and makes you go, what? And uh, that one is such a good example. We used it as our as our show title. <laughs> it's, it reminds me, a, um, one of our friends at uh, BBC Wildlife, they came and told us the other day, they were talking, and then there was a seagull appeared at the window, and she said, there's no such thing as a seagull. Which right. I then questioned and went on the internet and said, typed in seagull, and it said seagulls. But then it turns out, there isn't. <laughs> They're just yeah. gulls of different varieties. Yeah, yeah. That's another. That's another mind blower. It's yeah. really. It's really great to find these things out. Again, they slightly reframe the way you see the world, and you might never look at a seagull again without thinking, "I know what you are, and you're not a seagull." Yeah, <laughs> it's just, a dangerous road to go down. The does that thing actually exist? Because it turns <laughs> out not much does. <laughs> <laughs> the world is an illusion. Yeah. <laughs> this must happen a lot to you, though. So you you sort of you have an idea about something, and then all of a sudden it's turned upside down. Um, I guess this is kind of what happens in the, the thinking back to earlier, the, talking about like the scientists and just how they are. Uh, a lot of the work you must do is similar to the way how actual people in the world of science and indeed um, technology, they look at something and go, that's weird, that's crazy, let's try and mess around with it. And I sort of mm. see that's what you're doing with, with knowledge, essentially. I mean, that's very flattering, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um Dan, you answer this. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's I, we rarely think about it sort of that deeply. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is good. You're shaking us to our foundations. Yeah, here, which is I don't nice. give me, not giving you an existential crisis here. <laughs> the podcast will be cancelled next week, and it's all our fault. We don't exist. <laughs> um, I mean, the work that we do is is so inconsequential compared with the work of all the scientists whose work we yeah. cover that. You know, we we just, I mean, we, we love doing it and we love, it's, we are basically a large fan account, you know, for a proper science. And that's the feeling that we have at our live shows as well, because we travel around the country um, 
and sometimes around we're going around Europe shortly um, doing shows. And the experts that we get in our audience are, are fabulous. You know, you get people who are experts on hagfish or on radiation or on whatever it might be. And if you're talking about a particular subject, you'll frequently find yourself corrected from the stalls. And um, that's actually quite fun. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's the weirdest heckles for a comedy gig <laughs> you could ever get. So what have we had? We... My, my favorite one, we were playing in the Soho Theatre and we did a fact on Utsi, the Iceman that mm. was found. And um, Iceman, not Iceman. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> um, and I kept saying Utsi, Utsi, Utsi. And this lady in the crowd just suddenly went, oh, it's Ertzi! And it was just this total fury of, just pronounce it right, what are you doing? It was, it would, the, you would never get that in any gig anywhere. Um, that wasn't a corrective one, that was just more a... Uh, that was a little bit, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. So you, you get people who, are, who really know their stuff coming to our shows, and, and then sometimes we'll meet them afterwards. So we, uh, a few weeks ago, we were in the West Country, and um, Anna's fact uh, centered around uh, artificial insemination of cattle. And she had a very interesting account of how it happens, which was, you know, we, none of us could believe it. Um, and it was very, very funny, and it ended the show. And then afterwards, in the when we were just meeting the audience, uh, a man came up to us and he said, I just want you to know I, I teach courses in cattle artificial insemination, and uh, you'd all be very welcome to come and do a four-day course with me <laughs> yes. anytime because you got it right. So, um, you know, we might be doing that if we're in uh, <laughs> Devon anytime soon. A few weeks later, when the show went out, we received an email with a photograph of someone saying, I happen to be listening to this week's episodes. Here's a photo of what I'm doing exactly right now as I was listening. And it was a photo of his arm um, no longer out in the open. But... <laughs> In, inside a cow. Inside a cow, <laughs> as listening to our <laughs> podcast. Pretty amazing. It must be quite humbling to know that you're there at the, the spark of life, essentially. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, brilliant. So there was one thing that I wanted to do with you guys. And so obviously you, you, you get a lot of facts and you have to make sure, you know, the, check the veracity of them, make sure they're okay. What I thought I'd do is I would... Um, I'd get the, the, the new magazine so that, uh, and just see if I could get a few things out there and test you to see if you could Ooh. say whether that is a true fact or that is a... Oh, great. That's yeah. a non-fact, non a non-fact. Non we, we call, call it a Dan fact a Dan on fact. our show. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So these these are all in the latest issue of the magazine okay. if you want to read up on about it. But um, I thought I'd just te test you. Uh, okay, so is this true or is this false? Um, echidnas are the only mammal not to have a stomach. Ooh, what a great. Um, oh, there are so many mammals. I'm going to say false. I'm going to say true. Okay, so uh, I can let you know that it is false. There is actually oh. two animals, two mammals, sorry, there's lots of animals, but two <laughs> mammals that don't have a stomach, and the other one is a platypus. That's oh. what I thought. I knew the platypus, so of I thought course. that can't be right. Mm. Yeah, I thought, because they're so unusual being... They're marsupials, aren't they? They're funny They're little monotremes. things. Monotremes? Is that the word for them? I, I, just, I just call them the stomachless. Yeah, of yeah. course you do. All right. Echidna the stomachless. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so I'll do that one. Yep, there's there's some, some more about them, as yeah, I say. Yeah. Um, so the next one is... So, and just to let you know, these are all from the Q&A section in the magazine. Excellent. So um, the next fact, true or false, the longest known bout of constipation lasted 45 days. True. Uh, false. <laughs> it's 2-0, it's true. 
Hey. It was me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it had to be surgically removed uh, from the body and was the oh size my, of a football. Apparently. Oh, my wow. God. So, oh, so it hardened to the size of one one entity. Mm-hmm. Wow. Apparently. Pretty cool. Must pretty have been cool. pretty uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did he get to keep it? Uh, I don't know. We haven't, <laughs> There's not that much space in the magazine <laughs> for that okay. sort of information. I'll look into that and get back to you. <laughs> um, so uh, the first, last one to mm. test... Um, Cling film is better for wrapping sandwiches for the environment than aluminium foil. Mm. Ooh. Oh, there are so many measures of good or bad for the environment. I'm going to say it's. Uh, f- I'm going to say that's false, and that it's worse for the environment than tin foil. Okay, I'm going to go for true, just to give Andy a chance of racking up a point here. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, haven't. Uh, it is actually. Um, uh, cling film is better for the environment than aluminium what? foil. You would have to use aluminium foil six times. Because of the production process uh, of making the aluminium foil, you'd have to use it six times to make it as environmentally friendly as cling film. Wow. Wow. Uh, that's a lot of reuse. I, mm. I, don't, I only average three or four, I'd say, my <laughs> foil. So, man, I'll go and buy some cling film today. Uh, yeah, or a wax cloth. That tends to be the, the best thing for Ooh, wrapping up your sandwiches. Keep nice. Them fresh. So, Very nice. That's how we do it in the, the, the <laughs> environmentally friendly West Country that we are. Yeah. <laughs> Um, brilliant so I think that's pretty good so thank you for that goodbye guys goodbye guys goodbye thank you so much (laughs) yeah awesome thank you that was Andrew Hunter-Murray and Dan Schreiber who along with James Harkin and Anna Chazinski host the No Such Thing as a Fish podcast which you can find wherever you listen to your podcasts please remember to rate and review our show wherever you download your podcasts from And if there's any space left in your brain for more science facts, the July issue of BBC Science Focus is out now. It's packed full of features, news and interviews to help you make sense of the world around you. For example, this month, we cook up some alien atmospheres, we meet the human hibernators and get all colourful in the technicolour world of dinosaurs. And as always, there's much, much more inside. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling science and technology monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.